Welcome to the GoTo Podcast. In this episode, Daniel Steinberg, author of the best-selling book, A Swift Kickstart, is interviewed by Jern Larson, CEO of Trifork. They cover the transition from Objective-C to Swift, innovations in the iOS world, and what's next for Swift. Created for developers, by developers, GoTo gathers the best minds in the software community. Stay up to date with the latest in tech through GoTo's top-rated events held online and in person in Chicago, Amsterdam, and Copenhagen, and by subscribing to the GoTo Conferences YouTube channel, where you can find thousands more high-quality dev talks. Learn more at gotopia.tech. Here in the studio in Copenhagen at GoTo Copenhagen. This is one of our really old conferences and it's still going very strong. This year we have 1,750 people and uh, the first year we did it in the exact location with 200 people. And in the studio here we're very proud to present and welcome Daniel Steinberg. Welcome. Hi. You're one of the pioneers in, um, in, uh, in, in iOS and Swift and in Java. Um, maybe you can tell a little bit about your, your journey before, before iOS and, and coming into development for Apple stuff. Sure. So I'm trained as a mathematician. I'm a differential geometer. And I was a college professor, but I, I kept going to code and um, got into Java in the very early days, the 1.02 days. And my sister was managing Java World magazine, so I started writing articles for her. And, and next thing I knew, I was writing books and I was doing training and, and I left academia. Uh, then I was very lucky that some friends sort of pushed me that if you want to be on the Mac platform, you're going to have to learn Objective-C. Mm. And in fact, Java derives from Objective-C, so it wasn't that big of a, of a shift. And so um, I was lucky to come to Objective-C the year before the iPhone shipped. So I was, I was really in a nice position there. And then Swift was just magical. It's, it's just changed the way we write code, and it's been a lot of fun. So that was good timing. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so... The year of the iPhone, can you describe that, um, how you experienced that? Well, again, I was very lucky that um, I, I got to see when Steve came back to, to Apple, I got to see every keynote he did at Macworld and at WWDC. And remember the WWDC video, uh, the keynote where he debuted the iPhone. And there was nothing we could do as developers for it, but it was just so cool to see and to have and to touch. And then when they uh, gave us... This, this API and they gave us access to, to coding for it with the iPhone 2 and it was really um, before we had iOS 3, 4, 5 and all that. Um, but we weren't allowed to teach it because it was still under NDA. Yeah. And so we were doing these kind of sneaky things. We were teaching Mac and saying, it's just like the iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> and then the NDA dropped and we were really positioned to start teaching that. So we had one of the first classes on, on iOS development. So the, the first year the iPhone came out, it was, it was really an, a one screen full of apps, but only from Apple. Yep. And then after a while, after a year or so, they decided um, maybe we should have an app store. So and they did really clever things. Like they didn't have GPS in those days, but then they did the thing where they used Wi-Fi near you to try to figure out your location. Yeah. So they did just really clever things on this constrained device. Yeah. And you think of what we have on our iPhone now and the cameras and our watches. It's just, it's incredible. I'm um, clearly a fanboy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, when you do something, if you are committed to a platform, it gives you so much in return, yeah. right? Um, and, and so in the beginning, it was Objective-C and Objective-C 
came from next step from when steve he went out and did his uh, next computer mm-hmm. um I was a happy owner of a Next computer, and I was programming Objective C. Well, I mean, the, the and, language and, existed outside of that, but yes, that was the language but, that they yeah. chose to use. So, so the big innovation that we learned from Steve Wozniak yesterday, we had the pleasure of also meeting him yesterday. So he said, yeah, so the, the thing he really loved about uh, bringing Next into Apple was the Unix platform, the multiprocessing capabilities, multitasking. And, and that's what we really like today as well, that we can run um, apps uh, and, and uh, we can run more things on the iPhone and it's a real, it's a real system. So the you basic, probably remember when, when those machines filled rooms this big yeah. and now I've got Unix on my watch. Exactly. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. So, um, so maybe um, can you tell a little about uh, the transition from Objective-C to Swift for you? I mean, when that happened and and. and what do you think the motivation from Apple was to make that shift? So I um, was not like a lot of people. A lot of people were complaining that Objective-C is old, the square brackets, but these were a lot of people that had come to the platform from Ruby and other languages, and they wanted to write for the iPhone, but they wanted the language to look more like their language. These were not the old Mac guys who'd been there forever and said, what's wrong with square brackets? What's wrong with these Mm. colons? Mm. the sending the messages, I mean, that was something that we thought of since Alan Kay, that you send a message to something. Yes. Or, or even before that, to Nygaard, who was yes. you know, thinking about message passing. Yeah. And so Objective-C was a lovely language to write in. Yeah. But there was something about Swift, and in particular, working with blocks in Objective-C was very painful. And so even though Swift wasn't a functional language, it allowed us to do functional things. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, our code was cleaner. And so... Although I didn't have a problem with Objective-C and still love it, man, I just Swift makes me happy every day. Yeah. Now, the early days of Swift were painful. Mm. There were things that it didn't do and things that it changed. Mm. But I'll give you an example from the first year. When Apple introduced um, variables, they said some variables vary and some are constants. Mm-hmm. And we call one let and we call one var. Mm. And so when they said uh, arrays are fixed you could still change what was in a certain element of an array, a position of an array in a let. And the community freaked out and said, that's not what we expect. (laughs) And Apple changed it. And this was before Swift was open source. Mm. And so from the very start, you knew that they were listening to the community. Mm. And that was a big Mm. change from Apple. Mm. But also, I mean, um, how fast was the transition? Like how many developers actually moved from Objective-C to Swift? And how long did that take? I think it was a lot faster than Apple anticipated. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Apple, the the transition from Swift 2 to Swift 3 was very painful and people Mm. complained. And and there were people at Apple that said, well, we never thought so many people would come over so quickly. We thought people would just sort of put their toe in the water. (laughs) But, you know, Apple owns that world. And so when Mm. Apple says, your future is Swift, as developers, we go, well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that, that um, that was a rough beginning. But where are we today? So, so let's just jump until the latest release of iOS and Swift. And can you take us to some of the highlights there? So sure. So a little over a year ago, the big news was ABI stability. And so Apple did a very clever thing as Swift was changing. We want your apps that you write yesterday to work on iOS's and, and back and forth. Mm. And so they would embed the Swift runtime inside your app. And so mm. your apps were bigger than they needed to be. Mm. At some point, they said, we can figure out the memory layout and we can stabilize this. And so that was the ABI stability. And then in this past six months, we've gotten the module stability, which says you don't have to share the code of your module. You can ship it as a binary. Mm. And now 
that can stay from version to version. And yeah. so we got a lot of stability there. And then, of course, the, the big news was SwiftUI and Combine. These were the two huge frameworks that Apple announced in June at WWDC. Let's talk about SwiftUI. Yeah. So, um, so what are the highlights there? The highlight is that it's it's a total different way of doing it. So in a, in a typical uh, Hello World in Objective-C, you would have a view controller and mm -hmm. you would add a label and you would add a button. And when you press the button, the button would say to the label, hey, change your display to this. In SwiftUI, everything is done with state. And so the button would say, modify the state. And the label would get told, hey, the state is modified. You need to... Yeah. be changed out. Mm. So everything is done as the single direction of flow. It's, it's declarative. It's a real different way of thinking about things. And now our views are, are value types, not reference types. Forever we've had subclasses of UI view and subclasses mm. of exactly, UI view yeah. controller. Mm. And now we have these structs that conform to this protocol. And something I've been saying is, you know, Apple never tells you where they're going, but they give you hints. Yeah. And so when Apple tells us, stop using pixels, use points instead, they're not telling us that we're going to a retina display because they're not going to tell us what hardware is coming. But if we do what they tell us, then we're ready when that retina display yeah. ships. So if you look back five years, they did a very famous presentation at WWDC called Protocol-Oriented Programming, and it's the famous Krusty talk. And if you go back and look at it, there's the roots of Swift UI. They're telling us that this is the direction we're moving. Mm. We just didn't know it at the time. <laughs> you need to to find the the hidden. You can always look back. You yeah. Commit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and combine maybe explain this as well. So so combine is uh, Apple's attempt to say we've got all these ways of dealing with asynchronous, yeah. and so we've got delegates and we've got notifications and we've got KVO, and let's unify it under this framework that is based on reactive streams in the same way Rx Swift is and, and other reactive frameworks are. But Apple has tied it into their APIs, and so it makes it very easy for us to kick off a URL session and then react when something comes back. So it's, it's really nicely integrated. Early days for SwiftUI and Combine, there's still things missing in both. Mm. But um, I expect in the next year when we see iOS 14, we'll see that that fleshed out. That's clearly the future. Mm. It's a new world. And, and also the way Apple does things is that they really urge you to upgrade and use the latest as quickly as possible. And they, they have the, the app store to actually you know, um, empower that. Yeah. And so you have millions and millions of apps that gets upgraded and they all work in, in, in the new way and use the new capabilities fairly quickly. And at the uh, same time, they're very big on pushing end users to update to the latest OS, yes. and they make that easy too. Yeah. And so you see that the adoption of, of iOS 13 mm. is, is much higher than on other platforms using the latest. Yes, it makes things a lot easier. Let's talk a little bit about innovation. So what are the, what are the things Apple does on, on Swift and the iOS platform that keeps them innovating? And, uh, and you know they put a lot of new sensors in and capabilities in the hardware. So can you talk about what, what this year, the biggest innovation? I mean, so that's, that's exactly the point. Is mm. The point is Apple controls both the software and the hardware. And that's mm. been their, their secret sauce since the Mac. Mm. And so one of the first things that, that Steve did when he came back was he got rid of all the clones. And mm. he said, we're going to control. And so now he knows, well, which GPUs are we targeting? Which CPUs? Mm. And, and, which, and when they say, oh, I think we're going to add a sensor that's going to do a compass, they can add. And so each year they've added something. Yeah. And so uh, you, you saw they added some privacy chips. And mm. they're clearly going in the direction of AR and, and, mm. and machine learning. So they're thinking about that through co-processors. Metal 
the other thing is, is they lay these things out and then they pay off later. Mm. So metal is doing a lot of visual things, sure, but it's also doing a lot of calculations using the GPUs. And so you're seeing a lot of accelerate. And one of the most exciting things um, that Apple does now that Swift is open source is they announced these things in public and they recently announced a new numbers library. And so we're going to have complex numbers coming up. Mm. And the guy that's working on it is the guy that worked on it for the hardware and accelerate frameworks. And so they've really got people working on things that are, are properly positioned. I, I learned that they built in a, a more precise sensor that if you, you, can, you can build an app and if you walk a room, you can build an indoor map. So, so, um, so I, I was at Apple two weeks ago and they showed this how you do indoor mapping. So I think that's going to be uh, some of the new stuff because we all know if we walk in the streets, we have GPS and we have positioning from Wi-Fi and signals. But indoor has always been a little bit uh, problematic to use apps to actually navigate people through the milk or, or whatever they need to find. And what's interesting about that is it's an example of Apple trying something and it didn't work. Mm. So they tried it with beacons mm. years ago. Mm. And, and beacons... You needed a lot of extra hardware and the mm. triangulation, and it mm. never quite worked well. No. So now the hardware has improved to a point where we don't need those external. Yeah. Also, the, the near form is kind of interesting that, you know, if I have something on my phone and you're not necessarily a contact, if we're close by, I can still send it to yes. you. Yes, yes. Yeah. And also, yesterday, um, Steve Wozniak talked about um, their way when they do something, they do it, they do it right, like with Apple Pay. Uh, I know in Japan they, they um, made a special version of Apple Pay for Japan so you could uh, really just run through a check-in for a train and you would pay while you run. That's you know? funny. So, so, so that's just for one market they, that they do this. Because that's the way they work. That's the way they you do You know, the, the other thing about Apple is people are always saying, you know, where's your this? Where's your that? You're not the first. They're never the first. Mm. And so even going back to the iPod, they weren't the first MP3 player or the first watch or even the first phone. No. And so they always sit back and watch and say, how can we do this differently? Mm. So um, the, the amount of electronics, even in the, in the, air, mm. mean, in the earpiece and your yeah. HomePod, that's yeah. a tremendous amount. Okay, so let's talk about, you, you recently um, published a new book yep. on, your, on your birthday. I did. Yeah, so tell a little bit on about that. On my 60th birthday. And I'm looking forward to, to read it. Please talk a little bit about it, the content. Sure. So um, the way I write books is often different. I look around to see if someone's written the book that I would have written because I'd rather not write that book. And if no one's written it, what I write is you're a smart person, you're a good programmer, you just don't know this. And so my books tend to focus on that. And so I work with a lot of intuition and metaphor. So mm. I'm teaching Swift UI based on what did you do in UIKit? How is it different? What are the things you need to know? And so it's... Um, it's almost like a video game where you get stronger and stronger so you face harder and harder levels. And so that's sort of, uh, I, I take a lot of inspiration from screenwriting. Mm. And so uh, I write in terms of scenes and thoughts and arcs. Mm. And, and I hope you enjoy the book. I'll read it. And uh, actually, when we did these um, iPhone days in Geneva, in the beginning of, of the era of the iPhone, I was actually programming with my daughter uh, apps on the iPhone. That was pretty fun. Nice. So, so um Let's talk a little bit about um, what do you think will be in the next release of Swift IO, I, iOS and the whole uh, programming environment. So it's hard to know for, um, for consumers, for developers, 
they'll certainly round out Swift UI. There's a lot of things missing. For instance, this year, one of the biggest non-Swift UI announcements was a new UI collection view, and collection views get much stronger, and then diffable collections underneath them, and we see no collections at all in, in Swift UI. So we'll certainly get that. Mm. Combine will push out and will integrate better. So I expect to see those two frameworks. They've had massive announcements for AR and, and, uh, and for machine learning each mm. year. Mm. I expect that to continue. Mm. And there was just a rumor that internally they had an announcement to kind of reset our expectations that our AR glasses aren't coming in 2020, but they're coming in 2022 and then a, a lighter version in 2023. And when Apple leaks something, it's usually because they don't want people to become too anxious and then disappointed when something no. doesn't ship. So, no. so they're telling us, don't look for this at next year's DubDub. Yeah. But that will be the next product from Apple, the physical product from Apple, you believe? That will be the... the it's AR certainly going classes. to be, be one of them. Who yeah. knows? That, I mean, one of the areas that they haven't spent a lot of time on, which has surprised me, is the home kit. Mm. And so they have this, this e ecosystem for home appliances, and yet they aren't doing much to support it. And now that we have um, Swift on Linux, that should be much easier. Mm. Uh, yep. Swift on the server, they're mainly leaving to other people, but they're doing the plumbing with Swift Neo. Mm. And so you're seeing um, Swift Neo and, and Swift on the server sort of pick up. The package manager this year was huge, and I expect to see more things with that. They're working on including resources and binaries. And so when that happens, third-party things like Carthage and CocoaPods I don't think they're they're in a hurry to keep developing things when there's a first-party application. And uh, the audience can meet you around Europe. Um, now we're in Europe, so so you will be doing uh, classes in in. I'm here in, all the time. In I, Holland, in, in UK. Paris, in the UK, sure. Yeah, I'm here all the time, and and if you've got a, a private class, I'm I'm happy to come teach. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you for, for coming. Me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GoTo Podcast. Head over to gotopia.tech for lots more content from the brightest minds in software development.